Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast. I, I have a podcast that I was going to upload this morning, but I'm waiting to get final approval on the interview that I did. And I'm, I'm really excited to air this interview with you guys because I think you're going to find this guest to be a very unlikely guest of the show. And it was no other uh, than Dave Sanders, lead designer at Highway Pinball. I had a great chat with Dave yesterday. We spent a little bit over an hour talking, you know, somewhat about Highway Pinball, somewhat about the industry. But I really respect Dave for coming on the show and sharing his opinions and his thoughts on the hobby. Um, you know, look, I'll say this. We've, we've been really strident against a lot of the different things happening over at Highway Pinball. Uh, but there's also a lot of people that are working at these companies that are trying to make it work. They are trying to make it work, and they have not been dealt a great hand by Andrew, who has now departed from the company. And all I've ever wanted on this podcast, I just want people to get their games. I want people to get their games. I think when you pay money for something, you shouldn't be on a, a, a train wreck for years where you're stressed out, where you're anxious, you're having sleepless nights. When you pay money for a toy like a pinball machine, I just want people to get it. And for all the companies out there that say they're going to make pinball machines and take people's money, you either better deliver or go away. I mean, that's sort of been my point of view on this hobby since I joined it, is I've never seen a hobby where there's so many shenanigan companies out there asking for people's money and then failing to deliver. So I think you're going to enjoy the interview with Dave. He's listening to it today. Hopefully we'll get it up sometime early this week, but um, I, hope, I know you're going to enjoy that. So here's what I want to do on this little snackable edition of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I want to read some of your user mail that I've got. Um, I want to just go through Pinside and see what news has been percolating through the hobby. Um, and then I also want to talk about something that was some people have been sharing with me that I just thought was a little disappointing. Um, maybe I'll start there. Okay. So th when the Twippy Awards were announced... Yeah, uh, you know, it was really exciting that there was going to be a recognition of pinball out in the world. Not only of the games that we love, but the personalities that help make the pinball content that we all enjoy, um, you know, available to us on a weekly basis. You know, and I've always said this, I think anybody out there who makes pinball content, right, who takes some of their free time to create stuff that either helps you learn about pinball or maybe helps entertain you about the hobby and, and just sort of gives up their free time to create something that is for other people's enjoyment. I salute all the people that do that, okay? A few years ago, when I started this podcast, the really the only pinball podcasts that were out there, we had Coast to Coast with Nate Shivers, we had Spooky's Pinball Podcast, I think we had the Pinball Podcast. Uh, we had, I had the Pinheads Podcast with a Z or Z or however they say it. Uh, and I, I loved them all, right? It, there, were, there was really an ability to almost listen to everything out there because there wasn't that much of it. And since then, I think since then, there's been an explosion in people who are so passionate about pinball that they want to pick up a microphone or a camera 
and either record a podcast or make a YouTube channel or a Twitch stream showing their passion for the hobby. And I applaud all the people who do that. And I've always said this, I listen to so many people out there and watch so much content. Now, it was brought to my attention that a couple of the pinball podcasts out there that I actually listen to and enjoy sort of ignored or snubbed Canada's pinball podcast when they talked about the Twippy results. I heard that Slam Tilt, uh, who I I love Slam Tilt. Oh my! Um, apparently, when they read the results of all the Twippy finalists, they simply omitted who won the best pinball podcast. And the same thing happened with with Buffalo Pinball Podcast. And you know, people I think people bring this to my attention as if I I. I I don't know why they would do that. I mean, I'm not mad at those guys. I actually enjoy their stuff. I, I really do. I think what they create is phenomenal. Uh, and I think when I won, I, I was very humbled that so many of you out there voted for me. I, I don't think there's like this victory, right? There's not the best in the world. There is so much good content out there. Uh, I, I, so I, I really am disappointed in a little, you know, a little bit that these guys like just sort of won't even say my name. Uh, because it's not, it's not, I, I just think it's sort of funny how when I was kicked off of Pinside and when I was rejected by that community, everyone thought that I was just this troll who added no value, who would just go away. And I've worked really hard and I've worked really hard over the last couple of years to, to, to do this podcast, to, to evolve as a podcaster, uh, to sort of provide a commentary on the hobby that I think has got, has got to a good place, right? I, I think some of you might have loved the more strident, sort of crazy Canada from yesteryears. I think most of you appreciate more of the fair and balanced and sort of emotionally even keel version of this podcast that is the, the more recent version of it. But for the most part, for the most part, um, I just want to say to those other podcasters out there that, you know, I don't have any ill will against anybody. I, I'm glad you do what you do. Um, but I also think that sometimes people fail to understand why people like this show. All right. I'm not, I'm not the most educated on the history of pinball. I am not the best pinball player in the world. I am not obsessed with tournament play or rule sets and all that stuff. I think what I do differently than, than everybody else out there is I try to look at this hobby a little bit uh, objectively and sort of fairly. And I think I hold companies and personalities, I think I hold them to some sort of honest standard about, you know, I'm going to say stuff that's not going to always be positive about a company or people that I think deserve to be called out. I mean, think about it for a minute. Mike from HomePin says all those things, right? Homophobic stuff, racist things, and nobody even calls him out. Not even not even people like on the Aussie Arcade forum, like where he's from, you know? It's like this little podcast that I have, I think exposed something that needed to be exposed in this hobby. Uh, same is true with, with Highway Pinball when I talked about some of the stuff going on over there. Same is true with Dutch Pinball. I don't think just cheerleading about the hobby off to the side is is what the hobby always needs. Now, look, I think we should be mostly positive about pinball because it is a toy meant to create enjoyment. Um, but I think we also have an obligation to keep people honest and to call people out when they deserve to be called out. So look, long story short, 
I love those other two podcasts. Uh, I, I, I wish they would have included my Twippy Award mention when they did a recap of the Twippy Awards. I think omitting it uh, is unfortunate. But again, no hard feelings. If I see these guys at shows, I'll, I'll happily shake their hands and congratulate them on all the great episodes that they've put up. Okay, because we, again, we're a friend of, of every pinball podcast that is out there. All right, let's move on to what else is going on. So have you guys recovered yet from all the deep root stuff that we learned last week? And, you know, I was sort of wondering what people's feedback would be and if people really would start to see the true colors of Robert over there because I, I've, I've seen some stuff and I've seen some stuff and I've seen the way he's communicated with some people behind the scenes uh, when it comes to the Zidware litigation and trying to get rights for Zombietti's artwork and all this stuff that he's talking about. And I know that when you read the... Uh, the interview with This Week in Pinball, you know, Robert comes across as, as a pretty, uh, how, how do you say this? Ar not arrogant. I mean, I would say like overly confident uh, individual who, who seems like very bullish on, on Deep Root's ability to sort of transform this industry and do something no one's ever done before. But I know there's another side to Robert that is, it's very, very ego-driven. And I was like wondering if he would do something that would expose that side of him. Because I've said it to him before. It is the ego that will get him into trouble because as we know in this hobby, it's a very small community. It's a very small hobby. And you need to make people not hate you if you want a successful pinball company, right? This, it, it, that's just the reality of this industry. So I'm always sort of perplexed when individuals come out like Mike did at HomePin and just act like they don't give a shit what people think or just say stuff that makes absolutely no sense if you are trying to be the leader of a pinball company. So the thing that I'm referring to uh, is Robert Mueller over at Deep Root basically taking credit for Elvira 3. He's like, if you want, you know, you can thank me for that because I mentioned it to Dennis that he should make uh, Elvira 3. And it's just it's like, really? That's what you're going to chime in on, on Pinside, under the Deep Root handle, you're going to take credit for Elvira 3. And it's just that kind of arrogance and ego that is going to, I believe, make this company uh, struggle to accomplish anything because what what does that even mean like you think dennis nordman didn't ever think oh maybe we should revisit elvira since people love those two games like he needed you to inform him that re that that making another version of his most popular titles like that's just like man how did you ever think about that robert how did you come up with that conclusion hey maybe we should make a third star wars movie guys like you can thank me for that but here's the thing too you know i love how like now robert is actually saying and if you read if you read what he's saying he's actually saying he's also a pinball designer guys he's not just a successful businessman he's a pinball designer he actually sketched out what elvira 3 could be Whoa, man, like, is there anything this guy can't do between pinball designing, between being a financial success, between grabbing uh, Dennis and Barry and John Norris and, and, and David Thiel? He's brought everybody over. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. What, 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 there's no stopping him. He's got quad manufacturing about to go on. All this stuff, all this stuff. And look, I think all of you 
I can tell by the lack of actual conversation going on in Pinside. We've seen this movie before. We know how this rodeo ends. Every single time someone comes out and makes bold claims like this, it always ends up in the same place, and that is absolute disaster. He has no idea how to make four to five games cheaply that are going to be the quality of like Jersey Jack machines and then have them all launch in 2019. Good luck. As I said, I hope they prove all of us wrong. I will be customer number one if they can do that. But I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that he's taking credit for Elvira 3. And look, now I bet we're never going to hear from him ever again. This is what they do. They come on and they get... They get bitch slapped by guys like Crazy Levy. You know what I love too? This is sort of like the the good side of Hilton. And I, and I, and again, I said Hilton's not a bad guy, but I love watching Hilton troll the f out of Deep Root. See, that's where like Hilton has his value. If he would just learn, instead of shilling for guys like Andrew Highway and Kevin Kulik, if Hilton would just go on the offensive against guys like Robert then he would understand his true potential as a pinball superhero. See, he's he, when he's pointed in the right direction, Hilton actually has an incredible value for the hobby. All right, what else is going on in the pinball world? So Houdinis are starting to ship. That is good. Uh, we're starting to see more and more of them go out. Not a ton of them. Not a ton of them. It seems that distributors are, are getting them first and putting them on location. Uh, but I would love to have a hate. A, I can't even talk this morning. I would love to get a Houdini owner on the show who gets a machine to talk about the experience with the game. Uh, I've always sort of wondered, like, is that it, will I even get like objective feedback from someone who just bought a game on a game? Maybe, maybe not. But it would be great to have someone come on and talk to me about it. All right. So I want to read something that someone said to me. Um, this is from David. I got an email because this is talking about getting owners on the show. He says, Chris, I enjoy your podcast and opinionated stances, whether I agree with them or not. You're maturing as a broadcaster, and I enjoy the interviews and guests quite a bit. You are typically respectful of your guests and demonstrate real curiosity, which are hallmarks of good interviews. That said, I found an interest I found it interesting that you touted your fairness and respect of interviewees on the 124 podcast just two days after airing the P3 owner interview. Uncharacteristically, your tone was painful, painfully condescending during the P3 owner interview. It was clear from your line of questioning that you're not a fan of the P3 platform. You were dismissive of the Aussie's passion for the platform and followed up many of his statements with more questions masquerading as commentary about the platform's limitations. I've played P3 enough to know that it sucks. It's clearly created by an engineer and not a designer. The machine's industrial design and games feel sterile and uninspired to me, so my comments are not in defense of P3, but rather a commentary on the show. Thanks for reading and much appreciation for your passion and investment in the podcast. All right. Wow. David, thank you for writing in and, and, and sort of saying such candid words to me. And look, I, I, I had a hard time. And I, I, look, I don't think I was like combative, but I, I, I talked to this gentleman about his P3. And yes, 
do I think the P3 platform is going to struggle to take off in this new climate where there's so much out there? I mean, I, my, my opinions have been shared many, many times before. But this individual wanted to come on and share his experience about the machines with me. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. The part to me that, again, I think just says all you need to know is I think, I think this individual who bought the P3, he did something that a lot of people did years ago, and I bet he would never do it again. If you, the only part that I really, like that, actually I would have just like stopped the interview because it's like, wait, what? Like, why would you do that? He paid in full $10,000 for a P3 machine without ever having played it or really seen it. And then his money was tied up in P3 Multimorphic for five years before he got his machine. Five years. You $10,000 refundable locked in to get a machine. And, and that's just the part of this hobby. But I'm sorry... But it's hard for me to, I don't know, sort of empathize or, or understand why anyone would ever do something like that. You've never played the game and you're going to lock your money up for five freaking years. Look, and, and I've been an idiot. I've bought games without playing them before. Many of my listeners have done the same exact thing. And I think everyone's learned a lesson that when you do that, there's a good chance you're going to get burned. Uh, but I did find it hard to have that interview because I, I, I feel like, I, I don't know if it's Jerry asked him to come on the show and talk to me about owning it, uh, but I just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore about P3 Multimorphic. What, you tell me, like, what's left to cover about the platform? Do you really think people are going to go in on this platform until a licensed theme comes out for the platform? Unless there is a game that makes people really want this thing, it's been out now. We've seen it for five years, and it's not going to be able to build enough of, of a user base for it to accomplish the main goal of P3. Because remember, the main goal of it is that other people in the community will make games for it and design that upper playfield portion to be swapped in but that will happen by the community. It's like this open source thing. But nobody in the community will do that if only 40 people like own a P3 because there's no money to be made. Who's going to buy it? 40 people? Stern, could, you know, Stern can make a, a basic EM and sell like 500 of them. You know, so it's just, that's the problem. And something that I just, you know, I struggle with because I do want to be positive. But is there a market for all these companies? All these companies that have tried to reinvent pinball, to do pinball differently, I think they all solved a problem that did not exist. They manufactured the problem that they then went and solved. And in doing so, every company that has tried that has simply spent years not making any money while Stern Pinball has spent the last five years growing, making millions of dollars, increasing their fan base, and doing the one thing, the most important thing. Over the last five years, Stern Pinball has brought way more people into the hobby, and, and the resurgence of pinball that's happening in the world is because of them. And all these other people trying to save pinball and reinvent pinball 
all they've done is hurt the hobby because they've removed money from the hobby. They've made people wait for years. They failed to deliver when they said they would. So again, I just think it's ridiculous that all these people use no market research to launch their companies. They literally just had a, a gut feeling that this is what the hobby needed and it rarely led to anything positive uh, in the hobby. And I happily welcome anyone out there who feels I got this wrong, that I don't get it, that if people just saw my dream, this would take off. I just don't, I, I don't get it. I think market research is so damn important and it, it is easily ignored, all right? All right, speaking of market research, I got an email from listener of the show, George Went. George, thank you for listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. He says, hi, Chris. I hope this email finds you well. One of the reasons you are my favorite podcaster is because we view the world through a similar lens, even though we tend to come up with different conclusions on occasion. I teach a course in politics, and we thoroughly discuss marketing as part of that class. I always assign the article Marketing Myopia by Ted Levitt. In the article, the author argues that the difference between marketing and selling is that marketing listens to the demand of customers and rises to meet them, whereas selling is just forcing whatever product you have on hand onto the customer. One of the more famous examples is Corning. When I was a kid, Corning made discount plates that you bought at the outlet. Now they make a huge percentage of the glass found on cell phones. They define their business broad enough to meet a shifting demand, but still narrow enough to use their comparative advantage. I think all pinball companies need to read this article because they are failing at this. I come from the arcade industry. A majority of us, myself included, prefer video games and pinballs, but we all have cranes, redemption games, and other means to give prizes. We listen to the customer and meet them on their level. Conversely, pinball companies are just putting out whatever licenses they scrounge together and slapping a price tag on it. This won't work in the long haul. They need to better integrate themes, attack the market that actually exists today as compared to the one that existed 10 years ago, and start to make machines that have far broader appeal. It is also my hope that they start to unveil pinballs that will do better at FECs. Compared to many of our games, pinballs are a steal and we don't bat an eye at those price tags. There should be a way to incorporate at least a few pinballs into, the most, into most arcades, but the pinball companies seem to be ignoring this market and instead solely going after the home user with Stern Pros reserved for bars. Do you have any thoughts on this? Again, I love your podcast and want to congratulate you on the Twippy Award. Sincerely, George. Well, George, thank you. Ironically, like I, you know, I was reading the P3 email before this, I, I, and this is the first time I read George's email in full. You know, look, George, I, I've said it before, and, and I'll say it again. I 100% agree. I, I think that when, when pinball listens to what people want and they make the game that people want, that there is a demand for, the, the sales skyrocket. You know, no, but there was no market research whatsoever, none. If you were to go out and ask people, what theme do you really want to see a pinball machine 
uh, come out in 2018, nobody would say Pirates of the Caribbean. Nobody. Nobody. And this is the argument I've been making is that Jack is an amazing salesperson. He will try to sell you on that. But there is not market research that says that people really had a demand for it. And that is why I think Pirates of the Caribbean is not going to be this tremendous hit that everybody thinks. There is no market that said, you know what we really want from Pat Lawler? Dialed in. Okay. Okay. It's the, it's the sort of the assumption that just anything new Pat Lawler makes is going to sell. And why do we have to keep hearing people over and over and over again say, if you just remake Back to the Future, if you remake or make Big Trouble in Little China, if you make He-Man, if you make G.I. Joe, the nostalgic themes that we keep seeing time and time again are what everyone is beating the drum to get made. Why then are we getting WWE? Why are we getting Guardians of the Galaxy? Why are we getting these themes that don't have a broad appeal? You know it has got a broad appeal? Freaking King Kong, Godzilla, you know, things that like, like everyone is familiar with that you can easily make a pinball world under glass happen based on that theme. And look, Star Wars, yes, of course Star Wars is going to sell like hotcakes. I'm sure Star Wars has sold like hotcakes. But I think there's very little market research that goes on in general. Um, look, but I also don't think pinball will ever on any level be able to compete with redemption games. I hear from operators all the time. Why, why would they want to have a pinball machine that is prone to having issues and can break down and when they can have a, a, a damn redemption game that is going to be flawless and, and take a dollar in just a few seconds? And everyone who walks up to it knows exactly what they're doing. I, I think pinball has a really high learning curve. I don't think it'll ever be as popular again as it was back in the day in the arcades. And I think next to the newer like coin-operated devices, I think you'd be really hard-pressed to want to make money using pinball. I, I think it is a better thing to put into barcades because I think then you get like the league nights, you get the, the you know the people who love pinball frequently in your establishment. You know, you, no one no one frequents redemption games at, at movie theaters because they want to win that iPhone really bad. But I think pinball is, is a more social thing. Uh, but when it comes to making money, if I'm an operator, I don't care about like the social nature. I just want to make as much money as possible on location. Um, I do think everyone should go read Marketing Myopa. Uh, myopia, myopia. Sorry, guys. It's Monday morning. I, I'm trying to get this up before going to work uh, by Ted Levitt. But I've said it before, and I constantly get ignored. No one has ever asked me for any marketing advice in this pinball hobby. I, I work for some of the biggest brands in the world. I know how to launch a product. I know how to market something. And again, you're right. The marketing starts by listening. I've built my entire career, my entire career, just so you know. And I don't talk about my personal life very often. My entire career, I've built on my own sort of approach, which I've built a team and it's called culture tapping. And what we do is we listen to what's going on in culture and what people want to talk about and we connect large brands to those cultural conversations. It all starts with listening. If I, you know, you know how many times I get asked by companies, here's what we're doing, sell it for me, get people to talk about it, push it out into the world. That's not what you do. You want to create a moment where you're pulling people in. They want to engage with you. If Stern made big trouble in Little China, do you think they'd have to sell it? 
or would people be pulled into that if they made a, a you know a goonies or or gremlins do you think they'd have to pull people you know push it out or would people just naturally gravitate towards it so look it's it's never going to happen though because you know what i'm telling you, there's not enough money probably in pinball to pay really good marketing people um let's see what else i got from people so john morgan said hey chris just want to say that i'm looking forward to your next podcast about deep root pinball well john thank you for listening to the show hopefully you heard my podcast where i went all over um, deep root pinball i got an email from rakim sanders rakim thank you for writing and he said kaneda long time listener first time emailer i've been hounding my wife like a propeller of a motorboat trying to get her to allow me a pin in my house after much back and forth i've narrowed down to two pins x-men ali and data east jurassic park uh, no, here is the Canadian. Now, here's the Canadian challenge. Which would you choose? Also, do you have any plans to attend the Golden State Pinball Festival this May in Lodi, California? James Brown. I can't tell if it's James Brown or Rakeem Sanders because it's, I love when people sign off their email with a different name from where it came from. Uh, look, which would I choose? I would choose Jurassic Park. I love the theme. I just think it's a better game. I don't plan on going to Lodi, California for shows. I'll tell you why, because I'm saving up for a wedding and I've got demon payments to make. That's right, my demon came in on on this Friday. I, I haven't even talked about it, but if you follow me on Facebook, you'll see pictures of it. Um, so yeah, I would go with Jurassic Park. Uh, what else is going on in the pinball world? So I saw someone put up an email or thread on Pinside that says, is Batman 66 a keeper? And... I think we all sort of struggle with that is when does a pinball machine become something that we'll never let go of? We hear the term, it's bolted to the floor. I heard, I heard people a lot will say that with Tron, LE, that it's bolted to the floor. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, every pinball machine is a keeper until it's not. And we love to feel like this is the one that's going to give me years of enjoyment. But every game, ultimately will get old you will get tired of playing it you will want the new stuff and that's just natural i've never it's like still playing a video game from 20 years ago ultimately you'll want to move on to the newer versions of those titles and because pinball has all these new games coming out how, how could you not want to experience something for the first time so that's the reality but for some people look some themes will never leave like Batman 66, I know people who own this machine that are like, I will never let this game go. Now, a different question is, how hard do you think it is going to be to get a Batman LE or Super LE from people? And I think people are realizing this. Batmans are not coming up for sale at all. If you have an LE or an SLE, I think you probably have one of the most in-demand, sought-after pins by collectors right now. There are more Magic Girls for sale on eBay than there are of Batman LEs or SLEs. So think about that for a minute. I think people are going to be very hesitant to let this go. And I'm going to say this. And I think people who are playing Batman now realize this because the new code is amazing. Batman will go down. And George Gomez was right. It will go down as one of the greatest stern pinball machines, if not one of the greatest pinball machines ever. And I, and I say this because it's going to go down as probably one of the greatest theme integrations or license integrations ever. The amount of assets they have for this machine is incredible. There are 5,000 video clips from 120 episodes 
There are personal call-outs from the actors of Batman and Robin in the game. And I think it makes other pinball machines integrations seem very lackluster. You know, I saw the videos of Pirates of the Caribbean and it's, it's just one actor doing all the voiceovers. What is the point in having select, you select from like 30 characters from the movies and then you never hear from them ever. You're never going to hear from them ever. I mean, think about that ever. I, 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 oh my God. Again, market, market, market research would have never said, like, let's land the plane on this theme because we have no access to any of the assets. I, it's, it is so mind-boggling to me. So mind-boggling. What else is going on? I saw a little teaser video of Spooky Pinball's Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle. I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. I am. I mean, look, I, I, I've, I've been the first to say I think Spooky's, like, hasn't hit it out of the park yet. I think they know that. I, I'm, I'm, I like that they have these teaser videos getting people excited for TPF. And it's been, well, it's been a year, right? Because I think at last TPF is where they announced the theme. Remember I broke the exclusive and they got mad at me for saying that, but that's, that's where it was. At last TPF is when Charlie announced the game and the translate. And look, it's, I think it's great in one year, in one year's time, he came back and now he's pulling he's pulling the curtain back and showing us the pin. Great. I love that. I love that. This this company's always been known they they at least get us games. They at least get us games. Um, expectations will be high. Some of the artwork like it's starting to look cool. Like I wasn't a biggest fan of the translate, but I'm starting to get, you know, warm up to what I'm seeing in those little snippets of footage. So really look forward to that game. Uh, let's see. I don't know if I'm going to TPF yet. I, I, I don't know. Um, so that is going to be a game time decision by me. Again, I'm, I'm just trying to allocate my resources this year. Uh, but I would love to go. I would love to go. So I'm going to do my best to get out there. Um, all right. So that's going to be it for this little Monday edition, snackable version of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I think the key takeaway from this episode Everyone should do their market research and all of pinball would, would be better because we wouldn't get dud themes. Uh, we would get stuff that they knew we wanted, not them guessing what we wanted. Uh, I think that all podcasts, all podcasters are great who do pinball podcasts. I would never snub anyone or ignore anyone's uh, accolades. If people won awards, I would happily congratulate them and name them if they won an award. Um, so I was just a little bit disappointed to see that people were ignoring this podcast. You know, ever since I was banned by Pinside, the inability to recognize this podcast and to recognize me as a personality in the pinball community, all that ever does is make more people listen to this podcast and it drives more people to hear what I have to say. Because who do you want to listen to? The, the, the people who uh, just say what you expect them to say or the or the person you shouldn't listen to him. Don't don't listen to that podcast. He's gonna say things that are controversial and offensive and da 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 da. Have do we really? I think we just we try to get to the truth of this whole hobby, uh, and we try to get to it quickly. We don't ramble on for 10, 20 minutes. We get right into it on every episode. Look, we're 35 minutes in and we're done. We're done. Other, you know, other places, they're just getting started. <laughs> um, all right, everyone, have a great Monday and look for that Dave Sanders interview to go up sometime this week. We're out. Whoa,